Hola. Hola. Bienvenidos a Conversaciones con Colegas. Colega. I'm Lucero. And I'm Maggie. And we are Latin Exchange, a bilingual education community. All right. We are back again for another episode in our third season of Conversaciones con Colegas. It's so crazy to say that it's already season three. And I think we're starting off with such a strong set of educators. Today, we have Ms. Raya joining us. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting. Of course. Um, do you want to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So um, I first want to thank you all for the opportunity of me being able to be here. Um, but yeah, uh, my name is Esmeralda Raya. I'm originally from a small town in Northern California, uh, in the middle of nowhere. So I pretty much grew up with just, I guess, nothing around. Um, I am currently living in Stockton, California. So it's definitely uh, a lot of shifts within my life. And um, but yeah, and so growing up in Oliverhurst, I am one of the youngest of two. So I, I do have an older brother, and then uh, my parents, <clears throat> who are uh, originally from Mexico. So my dad is from Guanajuato, my mom is from Nayarit. So um, they they moved. I, I I like to say that uh, they didn't move because of us. Um, because we weren't even an idea when they moved over here in the U.S. So uh, I think that's that's something that's pretty interesting that they they moved for themselves because they wanted <clears throat> that uh, just those different opportunities. And so, um, yeah, they met uh, when they they were over here in the U.S. And so then um, me my my brother was born. Uh, uh, first, of course, he's my older brother. And so he lived in a time where my parents were struggling a lot. So they were struggling with money. Um, and also my dad is the oldest of his family. And so all of my uncles that came uh, to the US, they, basically my brother, my dad was a, um, the, the first stop for them. So there was a, a lot of times where um, the house was full. And so my mom was definitely always uh, catering to everyone around her and uh, also to the like house duties and um, and having my brother that's like very young so she was all uh, having a lot on her plate um, but then when I I came around um, once they already had uh, the the current house that we live in so it was more stable and um and we still had family members that lived with us. So I, I grew up with a lot of adults uh, around. And so we were still uh, the stop for a lot of our, our family members. <clears throat> but my parents were also always working. So a lot of times I, I was basically by myself in my house. I, I like to say that my best friend was my dog because <laughs> I had a, it was a mixed German Shepherd and Chow Chow. And so it, I spent a lot of time with him and uh, yeah, so that, that's a little bit of my background. And so uh, I guess my educational background, I um, graduated from UC Davis um, in pharmaceutical chemistry and Chicano Chicana studies. So I, I got both 
I, I'm very happy that I was able to find that balance within like the two different majors. And um, I am in my second year in teaching. So I'm a chemistry teacher in one of the high schools in Stockton. And um, it's, and prior to that, I worked three, three years in Yolo County. Um, it's, it's close by uh, for those that know and for those that don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, within those three years, I, I worked with their alternative schools. So a lot of folks, uh, like I was saying earlier, they um, were either cast out uh, from the traditional high school, either because of grades, uh, either because of like getting in like trouble because of fights or gang affiliation, or um, there were some that just didn't feel safe in uh, that traditional setting and decided to go with the alternative. Um, and part of that, I also worked at the juvenile hall in Yolo County. That's amazing. It's That's so, a journey. yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how did you end up in teaching? Like, how did that, how did your life take you into teaching? Yeah, yeah because mm -hmm. pharmaceutical, you know, pharmaceutical chemistry, like what is that bridge into yeah. chemistry? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I always knew that I wanted to like at least come back into teaching um, because growing up, I was always helping out my cousins because uh, I, like I said, my dad is the, the older one. So all of my cousins were a little bit younger than me. And so I, was, I would help out my cousins. I would help out uh, my friends during school. Um, I got involved in some after school programs and was also a tutor. So there was a lot of things just like pulling me into education. Um, and I knew that eventually I was going to come back, but first I was going to like either work in industry or like have that, um, uh, because I was going towards uh, pharmacy, like the working as a pharmacist and, um, figuring out like, what does that entail? I want to explore and learn a little bit more. Um, and once I got into college, the, I found myself continuing to work in settings where there was education. So I worked um, as a math tutor and I, I did a lot of things with youth. So anytime we had, um, uh, I was involved in some of the, the clubs on campus. So Mecha and uh, a whole bunch of other uh, student resources. And they always had um, high school students come in and um, have those conferences, they would stay overnight. And so it was just a lot of things that were um, pulling me towards that. Um, and then there was also a lot of classes, a lot, a lot of the Chicano Chicana Studies classes that kind of was telling me that I need to be in education now to like not wait for it. And so I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna start going uh, in that path right after. And um, it's actually been a journey to get to where I'm at right now because I, I didn't get into a credential program until my third try. And so it was a lot of failure, but I never got discouraged. I mean, I did get sad when I got the rejection, but I never got discouraged because I knew it was, it was something that I needed to do, not only wanted, but I needed to do. Um, especially being a, a queer Latinx individual, 
um, who came from like the middle of nowhere. And I, I also had like family members that were kind of like a little bit gangbangers. So I, I definitely had all of that motivation to be there for youth, right? Be there for the young ones, um, to see them being reflected and also have someone to hear them out. And um, yeah, that, that's how I went from pharmaceutical chemistry to education. I think that speaks volumes, that, that failure portion of your journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of us would be discouraged and like, okay, that's it, I'm done. And I think that also speaks to not only Latinx individuals, but also educators, how when the calling is there, we continue the fight until we are able to get to the point where we need to get to. So congratulations on not giving up, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm curious to know how your Chicano Chicana studies influence your teaching even though you're teaching chemistry, do you feel that you incorporate some of that, those cultural pieces into your teaching? Right now, it's very surface level. Um, and I completely acknowledge that because I'm trying to move towards more integrated. Um, but definitely, it's always been like my passion to figure out a way to bridge the um, just science teaching in high school that can very be very disconnected from students' lives into something that's more integrated with the community. And um, so kind of like um, trying to see what's out there in their community right now, because um, I, I mentioned before how I, I don't live in Stockton. I'm not originally from Stockton. So I'm integrating myself into a community and I'm trying to get to know uh, the area first. Um, before I can add things into the, uh, the actual classroom and the actual curriculum to say, hey, um, it's not just chemistry, but it is um, a step towards being someone that can do something for the community. Because every community needs people that are looking at the water management. Everyone needs uh, people that are uh, focusing on the air and pollution. Everyone needs folks that are working on um, the electrical systems in our communities that are running well and functioning to be able to have everything that we currently have, right? And to be able to sustain our homes and our communities. And these are people in, in there that are um, making sure that things are functioning and also trying to create innovations of how they can function better. And so I always try to remind students that it's, it's not just here, but like there's all different aspects that it, it's not just for you to get a career, but it's for you to um, be an important person in that community because people are going to need you. Being the real, bringing the real world into the classroom. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I know you said earlier something that kind of stuck with me um, because you were a newcomer, you know, into this, you didn't grow up there. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned something about a savior complex and how that mentality has shifted. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the first things that, uh, or the first ways that I tried to get into um, education is Teach for America. And I know one of the biggest uh, 
issues or I guess like the biggest criticisms that I've heard from a lot of folks, um, even the folks that actually did the program is that there are some aspects where teachers are placed into communities that are not a part that they are not a part of. And they're sometimes the mentality is that I'm going to save these kids, right? These kids need me to do well and to become these great people. And it's all because of me. And it's like, no, not necessarily, because if you go into that, uh, into these spaces with that mindset, then um, what, where was my train thought of this? <laughs> when you go into this mindset, um, it, it's very uh, egotistic, right? You're doing it for yourself in reality and you're not really focusing on what the students come in with already right, what students are involved with already, and also what the community itself has already provided for the youth. So for me, I've always um, told my students, it's like, hey, I'm not originally from Stockton, um, so let me know what it means to be from Stockton, right, and also uh, actively, like, researching and searching for those community um, organizations that are already there that are already doing work with youth. And so um, because of the pandemic, it's been a little bit hard to reach out, um, but I'm hoping little by little uh, getting to know, I already know some folks, so it's just um, finding the time. And especially with these first two years, having to jump through hoops, um, it just having the time to be able to make those connections, to be able to bring them back into the classroom. That's awesome. And so then you've taught with your credentials entirely through the pandemic. Yes, uh, the first year was uh, that first year of the pandemic. How do you feel that's affected? I, I obviously, you obviously taught before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that's affected your teaching and the impact that you feel that you're making in the classroom with the students? Mm -hmm. It's definitely a huge shift from the pandemic days to like now in person. Um, and so it's, I've definitely seen the, the motivation of students shift a lot. And so now they're a little bit more eager, a little bit more motivated and still trying to find a way to kind of like integrate that um, digital aspect as well. Um, but it's a little bit hard because uh, especially in science is like, it's good to write things out because that way it sticks into your brain. Um, and so it, it's just been uh, difficult, uh, but it's definitely a lot better, especially for science in, uh, in person, because this last year uh, we were finally able to do labs. Oh, that's students awesome. Be able to like get hands-on with um, making things react. Of course, it's not like huge reactions, but uh, still something that they can see, something that they can touch, something that they can be involved in, uh, wearing the goggles, wearing the gloves that they need to. So, and then telling students is like, oh, if you don't wear your gloves, uh, you can possibly get chemical burns. And they're like, oh, <laughs> we can get hurt with this. <laughs> and then the number one question that I, I get from every, like, in all of my classes is, can I eat this? <laughs> That's the number one question. That yes. I, get. I, I find it so funny. I always, I always tell them that like, technically you can, but no, 
we don't want to see what happens. <laughs> My husband likes to say everything's edible if you try hard enough. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not words to live by, but oh, no. especially not in chemistry. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember those chemistry days. And what I still remember is you have to smell like this. Don't ever put it up to your nose and waft it, waft it. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And I'm sure it helps to have somebody like you to provide also this representation of I'm here so you can do this too and being able to explore more hands-on and like you said putting on the goggles right I don't know if you guys have lab coats but like putting all this equipment that they can feel the sense of reality like this is something that is a, that I can obtain something that I can look forward to in the future mm -hmm, definitely. and then I try to because I know these concepts are completely, well, not completely new. It's just a different way of seeing life, right? Because mm -hmm. you see life through uh, the very microscopic, nanoscopic uh, view of things. And so a lot of times I try to like encourage students and tell them, it's like, hey, just tell me what you know. Don't be afraid to tell me things because oftentimes you're on the right track. And you know a lot more than you think you do. So I, that's the thing that I always try to do because a lot of, or at least the things that I've heard from not only students, but like the people around me, um, my friends, even close, uh, the, the people that are close to me, they say like, oh, I'm not a science person. And this is not, not my thing. Uh, I don't know if y'all had ever said I'm not a science person. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it's just like changing that mentality of like being a science person isn't one thing. It's it's a whole bunch of things. It's being able to look at a situation and uh, finding a way to to fix it. Right. If your remote control is not working, then what do you do? And that's like the scientific method. You figure out one thing and then see if it works. And then if it doesn't, then you try again. And the majority of science where like folks, uh, I don't know if they realize it is failure because we do these experiments to see if it works. And if it doesn't come back to the drawing board because even in failure, we learn something new. And so there's never a, a moment of not knowing, not learning. No, there's always a learning moment mm -hmm. for everyone. Great, such learning. a powerful message, yeah. <laughs> those are definitely better words to live by then <laughs> everything's edible <laughs> not everything everything yeah <laughs> yeah and so um I guess one thing that I also want to talk about is um the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. especially being in the science field I think for me, I've had a lot of moments of imposter syndrome um, and continue to have in certain aspects. So definitely when I was in um, college that, because uh, I was the first one from like both sides of my family out of all of my cousins to go to a university. And so I sometimes I felt that weight, right? It's like, I have to make it because I'm the first one. And, um, and especially being in science, it, it just felt sometimes like, am I supposed to be here? Am I cut out for this? Can I do this? 
And well, I mean, eventually I did. So I was like, all right, I can. And then when I was um, applying for credential programs, there was one moment where I applied to the um, UC Davis uh, educational program. And uh, I went in to do the science education. And then I, I, I did the interview and I, uh, I felt good about it. And then I got a phone call from like one of the directors because the, the program was separated into two. One was uh, science and one was like humanities. And so um, the director for the humanities uh, called me and said, um, you didn't get in, but here's the reason why. And uh, the reason why was because I didn't have enough experience within a science classroom. And then she told me, but we would love to have you for um, the, the humanities, right? The, um, uh, este, am I blanking on the word? <laughs> um, uh, like social studies, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I mean, eventually I want to get there. And so once I hung up with, uh, with her, I was like, I was rethinking. I was like, do I want to just go straight into it? Do I want to leave uh, everything that I've worked for? And um, I was really considering it. And then one time I, I was just going out for a walk. I was pondering on this thought, this idea. And I was like, you know what? No, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I worked so hard to be um, where I am and uh, I've done so much I'm not going to let all of this go to waste and so I'm going to put my like two degrees together and I'm going to go for that science education so I was like no I'm not going to uh, settle for this and, and I'm not saying that humanities is settling right because I eventually do want to go that I find so much value in that um, and it has its own rigor um, but I had done science and I wanted to go into science. So I was like, I'm sticking to that. And especially because I want to have that, uh, that impact on my students to let them know it's like anyone can be in science and it's not a scary thing. And it, yes, it is a lot of information, but what isn't, right? In every aspect, you're gonna learn a lot of new vocabulary. You're gonna learn a lot of different, uh, basically a new language. Um, when you go into specific fields. So it's not going to be different. Um, it's just different topics, right? Different, different words, different language. And so I, I continued down that, uh, uh, that route in that aspect. And I think right now where the imposter syndrome is hitting is um, being this new teacher in a new space um, and in a new community. And so I'm really trying to kind of gather all of the information because I'm that type of person. I have to gather a lot of information and observe how things run first before I can go in and try to make changes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, I've still done a couple of things even being as a first teacher, uh, first year teacher, second, um, but it's still, it's still a balance, right? It's still a balance of taking in and um, finding out how things work uh, in the specific places that I am and finding my space and where I can interject myself. I think that's such a powerful message that a lot of Latinx individuals often go through this like feeling of not belonging and 
having to take every opportunity that comes at us because we don't know when the next one will come. Mm -hmm. And I know I personally, it's like this funny story of how I would never, I was never the person who would take back food if something was wrong. I'd always just like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, don't, don't say anything. Don't bring it up. And my husband's like, you know, you don't have to like hide anymore. And I was very confused as to what he was referring to. He's like, I, I was undocumented. So he thinks that that stems from this idea that I need to not make a scene and bring attention to myself because I don't know what the repercussions of that could be. Mm-hmm. So therefore I always were like, no, everything's fine. Like, don't, you know, don't say anything. Don't bring up anything like calladita me veo más bonita kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in that same sense, I didn't know what opportunities would present themselves. So anything, anytime anything came up, I was like, yeah, sure. Even if it's not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that you, one, reflected on it and was like, no, this is not the route I want to go down right now. Thank you, but no. And also spoke up on that fact mm-hmm. is so powerful. And I think that alone is giving such a strong message to your students and to your community that like, we don't have to settle. We don't mm-hmm. have to go down a route that isn't necessarily for us right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I think that's still such a strong thing too. It takes a lot of will to do that. Yeah, definitely. And can we also touch on the point though of how different the credentialing systems are across states? Because you had a bachelor's in pharmaceutical chemistry and you're, <laughs> and you were told, oh, you don't, you know, you don't qualify right now. Or, you know, it took you several attempts to get yeah. into, you know, the program. And it's like, how much, like, how much more <laughs> are you looking for? You know? And, and so that just goes to say also like here in Illinois, the credentialing system is completely different. Right. Um, I think there's value in us also later on in in that future seasons, um, exploring the different credentialing systems that we have in the United States and also addressing that, because obviously right now there is the biggest need for educators to come into this field. And we need to start addressing those, you know, the differences amongst the states and just like creating some sort of path way I feel like this needs to now be addressed at that national level you know but that's that's just me talking big picture that I think later on we can come back and discuss amongst educators but I just have to say you know like that's amazing that you were you know you were coming already with all of that content knowledge you were coming with a strong background and it's exactly how Lucero said amazing that you that you caught yourself in that moment of saying wait a minute like like, okay, yeah, this sounds good, but no thanks, right? Uh, <laughs> because I know I know that I can do this, right? And I know mm-hmm. what I want out of all of the hard work and effort that I've already put into something. So kudos to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something we could all leave with. If nothing else from this podcast, it's that, right? Like persistence is key. It getting where you need to be. And I think especially right now, that's something that now saying it again, I realize 
it's I'm using it too because I'm in that five-year mark of like where am I going with teaching especially after how hard it's been and it's like sometimes if it's really what you want like you have to keep persisting so and I I've also had a lot of conversations with friends because we we were in this like moment of like now we're going into our careers and there were a lot of folks that were working hard to get to one place and found that rejection and the thing that I would like remind them and like remind myself right because these are words I tell myself is like remember that you are important in that position you are the people that are going to be interacting with you need you to be there right they need you to keep on pushing yourself you they need you to keep on believing in yourself because you are such an amazing individual and you can do so much with that position right you can do so much um in that uh in that field in that area and you bring so much to the table that when we face that rejection we forget about uh, our value and we forget even if it's in the moment but we forget how much we truly uh, can bring to these spaces um, because of who we are, because of our stories, because of our experiences uh, dealing with all of these systems, right? Uh, so being a uh, queer, Chicanx, Latinx uh, individual uh, from like different backgrounds, that is important to be in these spaces because that you bring that perspective with you and that perspective in those positions are super important. So that's one thing that I always tell folks is like, um, just remind yourself of how much, uh, how much knowledge you come with and how that knowledge is super important to be in that position uh, because sometimes you don't realize how much that voice is needed in that space until you don't see it and you find yourself being the only one, right? And so that that's another message that I want to throw out there. Be right back writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so, so true. And I think those are such strong affirmations for anybody to hear, right? Regardless of whether regardless of racial background regardless of sexual identity you know gender identity anything whatever it is that someone is going into it's like so it's important. so important to remind ourselves that we belong and we are needed in those spaces and i think as minorities you know that's hard to remember because they're like, oh, what do we know? But yeah, no, we're, we're experts in our fields. Like we're experts in the positions that we're in and we have to acknowledge ourselves for it and give ourselves the credit and make our space known. Mm -hmm. so, definitely. definitely, thank you for that message and for all the very, very inspirational messages that you've just given us through this entire episode. I feel like so many things I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it's it's so different hearing it from another perspective and hearing it from someone else like it clicks a little bit more sometimes mm -hmm. so thank yeah. you for that one thing that I love doing uh now that I am in this position is being able to call up uh 
a mom, right? And she only speaks Spanish and let her know that I speak Spanish as well. And just having like hearing their voice just like completely change into like, oh, what do I say to now? Like, oh, I can say things. Um, and so I love talking to parents. I love talking to, especially like moms that tell me, oh, he's not doing work in his class. All right, I'll, I'll tell him to do work. <laughs> and just like the, the gratitude from them, just let, letting me know. It's like, oh, thank you for calling. Thank you for uh, letting me know what's going on. Cause oftentimes I don't. And so um, I, that, that's one of the like very rewarding moments uh, of that position uh, of just being there. And um, talking about like rewarding moments, it's just like, uh, because I always say that I'm always working, like I work day in, day out. I'm like, I, I wake up uh, to do work before work. I work during work. And then I work after work. And so I think that's the same sentiment uh, in uh, with all teachers, right? And mm -hmm. especially like first year teachers where we still have to like jump through like the various hoops that we're trying to jump through just to like be like, I guess prove that we are supposed to be here, right? And uh, I always tell my students is like being with you all in the classroom is the easiest part of my job. Mm -hmm. and, yep. <laughs> and they're like what really and I'm like yeah even when y'all are talking over me while I'm trying to give my lesson <laughs> yep and it's it's something that we talk about all the time right like when we're in our classrooms and our door is closed and we're just in our element it's like everything is fine with the world and it's all of the politics and and the system that really does make it difficult for educators to stay in the profession and to feel successful in the profession. Like it's, it's not the students. Yes. The students are going through a lot right now. And, you know, some of them have way more trauma than previous years that make it difficult for them to truly access, you know, the academic portions, but it's not like, a, it's not them. Mm -hmm. We can, we can go in there and feel and try our best. But when we incorporate you know, all this state testing and all of the political decisions that affect education, mm -hmm. all of that is what make the job really difficult. Yeah. yeah and right now I think um, because it's, it's still like the, that implementation of the NGSS, the Next Generation Science Standards, um, I think it's it's so hard because like NGSS, I get it. I know what they're trying to do with uh, like exploration and having students figure uh, things out for themselves. And I think that's cool. But at the same time, it's like the standards are very specific. So it's like it, they're contradicting themselves. And even the like uh, state science tests in California, it's very specific things that they have to remember from not only one subject, but three different subjects like the 11th graders have to take the state test and it, they have to know biology, chemistry, and physics when they took it separate years. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how are you going to remember all of these things? And so there, it, I just, I think as of now, I, I may learn a little bit more of the reasons why they implement these things the way they do, 
Um, but for me, my perspective right now as a second year teacher is that there's a lot of disconnects with what they say they're trying to do with what they're testing for, right? And so. Yes, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, we've actually had a lot of conversations with administrators and how administrators sometimes feel the same thing. They don't always understand the politics behind it and the reason why systems are a certain way. But I also think that especially Latinx administrators and minority administrators who did make it to those positions need to advocate more to try and change that or try and shift things around so that it is not so politicized and it is more for the students to benefit and grow as opposed mm -hmm. to this like monetary aspect and business view mm -hmm. of education that I think that's where the disconnect comes in. Education is so being viewed as a business yeah, and it's, uh, it can be, but that shouldn't be the mm -hmm. way that we run it. So and, and it's interesting to, to hear that because it, it, in one perspective, yes, it, it is being viewed as a business, but then you also hear the news and it's like, it, it's also viewed as the, the solution for all of our social problems. And it's like, how can we do both uh, with the, the resources that we don't have? Mm -hmm. It's like the saying, cuando les conviene, right? Like, cuando les conviene... It's, it's education's fault, but when it's not, it's like, oh, you could have done this and you could have done that. And yeah, it's, we are to blame because we are easy targets. Um, I think there's, there's value in also making the connection to um, what you were saying earlier, Esme, that um, like we, we have to really pump ourselves up and, and remember that like yeah we we can occupy those spaces and you know speaking to what Lucero was saying about administrators um I think I, I already see the theme of season three podcasts you know being like occupying space and uh being brave within those spaces right because how how that imposter syndrome I'm pretty sure also like affects everyone also administrators once they get a seat at those tables that they often feel like they can't speak up right that they can't advocate that they can't push the boundaries too much because then that seat will be taken away when in reality mm -hmm. is like we we deserve a seat at the table we you know we deserve to occupy those spaces so that we can advocate for those needs that we are seeing that have always been here, but just now are, are culminating to that point of like, we can't keep going this way. You know, the system's already broken. Like we need to start making change to fix it. We need to start addressing these needs because we can't keep going this way any longer, you know? And I think there is definitely value in, in pointing out like, what are the needs then, you know, because Latin exchange kind of came out of that space of like, we can't keep going this way any longer. Like, you know, something's got to give. And mm -hmm. I think very central to our, our founding is the fact that we want to be the platform so that you can have the space right, to really say and advocate and really showcase the great things that are happening in our classrooms and in education, but then also really spotlight those needs and being able to now have a collective 
right, um, that can support you and keep encouraging you and keep on, you know, sharing those messages that you uh, have shared with us today to remind everyone that, no, you know, your, your position is valuable, your representation matters, you know, more than you even know sometimes, so. Yeah, definitely. And um, so I think I just got a flashback to, because um, I, I know they're doing a lot of work in education in the Bay Area. And so I think that's where a lot of like the transformative work uh, has been doing. And I know like the surrounding districts have been trying to learn from them. And so I've gone to a couple of uh, uh, teachers for social justice conferences out there. And so like those messages of like, we need a collective space where um, like folks that experience like people of color that experience these um, uh, just moments of exhaustion of trying to um, are needing to advocate uh, for the like themselves as well as their students of color because they're in spaces that are like affluent white spaces that don't uh, that have a really disconnect with the students and uh, like their experiences and what they go through and so just having that that collective to not only just like rant and be able to like unload a lot of things um, but also to be able to talk without needing to educate at the same time. And so that way, it, like ideas can flow uh, a lot more in a specific direction uh, than to stay stagnant and having to reteach folks that just like are not um, or have not put themselves in uh, the mindset of uh, like what our students go through, what people of color go through, what queer people of color go through. And so, um, yeah, so that that reminded me of uh, those positions. We're going to definitely have to have um, you back, Esme, for another episode. I think we're you know we're slowly forming uh, season three and already season four. You know, ideas are are budding, which is awesome and amazing um, because that's what you know that's really what we're trying to do here with these podcasts too, you know, it, yeah. it start the conversation and then, you know, continue that conversation, hopefully through the platforms that, that we're building and through our, our social media, through all of the avenues that now we have an opportunity to connect with. I mean, we're two, you know, two teachers in Chicago, you know, and an educator over in California, thanks to Zoom, you know, now have an opportunity to, to connect, to, you know, build community form of friendship and, um, and professional collaboration efforts. Like, you know, the world is ours for the taking now. Yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, I, I was gonna bring up uh, yesterday, I was at a, an art gallery um, and it was a community one uh, made by students. Like all of the artwork was made by students. And I was actually uh, students that um, are at the school that I used to work at, the alternative school. So these are students that were cast out and now um, with all of their experiences, they're creating beautiful art. And um, there, there was one that said, uh, chingonas need therapy too. And so I was like, I felt that I was like, heck yeah, we, we all uh, can use that and destigmatize that um, uh, mental health within the Latinx community. 
Um, and then there was also the the poem uh, or like the the from the idea there was a poem created, but it's basically um, when we see a plant that's not doing well, we don't question the plant, we question the environment. And so it goes with like not only our students, but ourselves as well, our teachers, right? Uh, when we have like those uh, newcomer mm. teachers that have burnout that like end up like going to other professions is like, we question the teacher when we are supposed to be questioning the environment uh, and where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so, that, um, yeah, that's what I was reminded of. That's awesome. How amazing that these students are finding that they also have a place and they are making themselves known. And I'm sure some of that is definitely a, a, an indicator of some of the work that you have done and work that other Latinx individuals and strong educators in general have done to lift them up so that they can go from that mentality of being outcast to now you have a place where you belong and you know like we're here and we're here to stay and we're going to continue fighting for it so occupying that space yes and I actually, there, there's dope educators out there. And so I would love to put y'all in contact so that maybe y'all can reach out with uh, her. And because they're doing amazing work in, um, it's Woodland, California. And uh, with their, their youth, especially their uh, youth that has been outcasted by like the, the regular systems. And so definitely um, would be awesome to connect with them. Definitely. Love that. Like Maggie said, through this virtual world, we are now expanding and being able to connect with so many amazing educators that we would have never come across if it weren't for this. So very thankful for that. Again, thank you to you for taking the time and coming on here. We're so very grateful. And I feel like I had just left a therapy session with all these like affirmations that I'm going to tell myself. <laughs> thank you so much for that. Of course. Of course. Thank y'all for the opportunity. Of course. Um, in tradition, we are going to end with our lightning round of questions and Maggie is going to start us off. Yes. So, um, ¿Cuál es tu canción? If you have to put one song that identifies, you know, with you, what song would that be? I think that there's one where, like, especially when I'm having a hard day or, um, like, the previous day didn't go well and I'm going to work and I'm just like, all right, today is going to be a good day because it has to be. Um, it's called Creo en Ti by Ana Tiju. And I don't know if y'all know Anatiju, but she is an amazing rap artist. But um, yeah, Creo en Ti is a really good song. It's just like that message of, um, I think my favorite line um, is part of the chorus. And it says, Porque tu luz cotidiana um, asciende la sonrisa que sale por la mañana. Creo en Ti. And then, um, uh, the other one is, um, wait, sometimes I have to sing it. It's like, um, Porque tu luz cotidiana enciende la sonrisa que sale por la mañana, creo en ti, porque veo tu verse inexplicable, esa justa dignidad inconmensurable. Yo reafirmo que tu rabia proviene del dolor y tu lucha florece de amor, porque en ti me veo yo. 
creo en ti. And they sing too. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I actually think you're the second guest who mentions Ana Tiju as uh, their favorite song. So that's awesome. If I'm ever able to teach like a Spanish class or an ethnic studies class, I'm going to do a whole unit on just Ana Tiju. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Next question. ¿Cuál es tu comida favorita? Ay, too many. Too many, um, but I I think burritos because mm. like everything wrapped in a, a, a warm tortilla and then it's just like every bite you get a taste of like everything that's inside and I don't know if you've ever tried a chile relleno burrito but oh my gosh it don't is... tell my husband that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that I'm intrigued. What is this? Basically, just a regular burrito with the chile relleno. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's delicious with some like salsa. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would try wow. that burrito. Yes. I would try it too. <laughs> I would. Now I must explore. <laughs> <laughs> and the last part is more of a phrase. Um, termina esta frase. Voy camino rumbo a. Adelante. Yes. Just keep moving forward. That's such a simple but such a strong answer. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. You're definitely on the right rumbo hacia adelante. Um, and thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Uh, definitely. Thank you all for all of the connections that you're making and all of these podcasts that uh, just brings to light a lot of beautiful people and a lot of experiences. So uh, make sure to thank yourselves and to just like kind of like sit in the mirror and realize like uh, the amazing impact that y'all are making. So definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we look forward you. to continuing this friendship and partnership. Definitely. Likewise. Likewise. All right, so like always, this has been fun. Um, and remember that you can reach out with any questions, any comments, and anything else that you want to share. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on all platforms. We are on Instagram, on Twitter, and our personal favorite, TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> Um, we are also on our website, latinexchange.co. Like always, I'm Lucero. And Maggie. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Hasta la próxima.